to Wood Talk Online, a podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are your hosts, Mark Spagnolo and Matt Vanderlist. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, episode 68 for March 22nd, 2010. I'm Mark Spagnolo. And I'm Matt Vanderlist. And you know what? I'm just I'm just gonna read this as I should. Do if it. If you have any comments or questions about something you hear today or something you haven't heard, you can get a hold of us either by dropping us an email at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and leave us a message on our voicemail at 623-242-2450. And I really feel like I should say something very smart mouthish in this point, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time I think I've ever read it straight as it's, as we intend it to be written or uh, spoken. Yeah, yeah. We have it written down in the show notes for a reason, but if, you know, you can always go off the cuff, whatever you want to do, you know, it's your show too. <laughs> right. Well, I always wait for yours and I just want to follow along. It's almost like, you know, like freestyle rapping just to see where it goes. Oh, you talk about my mama. I'm going to talk about yours. <laughs> there you go. Right. Okay. So um, we've got something a little bit different for you guys here today. Uh, we wanted to try a, a little, this is actually, it was Matt's suggestion. I thought it was a good one. A little bit of a new format and a little bit of a looser format, kind of, uh, you know, maybe the old way that we used to do things, just talking about a few different topics. And we'll still hit some of the main areas that we usually do, but hopefully you'll like the new sort of relaxed uh, style of what we're going to do from here on out. Right. Uh, until we yeah. change our minds again. Right. Which will probably be the next time we'll listen to this and be like, oh, you know, we should be we need a producer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we do. Uh, Nicole will do it. She's not doing nothing. She'll produce the show. She'll, there you do, go. she'll direct us. Um, so at the top of the show, what I'm going to do is basically introduce what the topics for the day or for the discussion are going to be, and then we'll uh, we'll spend some time chit-chatting. Uh, first off, we're going to discuss the, the idea of using hand tools even for the boring crap. Uh, that's right. You know, and whether that's something you should do or, you know, I guess it's really just comparing notes on what we both do. Um, Other topic will be the differences and uses of uh, rabbit shoulder and plow as well as a router plane. Um, I I was doing some work with that recently. You and I had a conversation about it and I got some questions. I thought it would be um, a good topic for us to discuss. Definitely. And also, can you learn woodworking from books and videos alone? And some folks may have seen me post this uh, just recently on Facebook and Twitter, and I'm going to include some of your responses in our discussion about that. But before we jump into our topics, uh, let's do a little review and talk about uh, what we've been doing in our shops lately. Sounds good. Well, why don't you hit it off because you already you already got the flow going. Oh, I've We're going to keep the rhythm and flow going. Oh, I've got it. All right, here we go. Uh, yeah, I just lost it. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've been finishing up the shaker end table. That's, that's the big thing. The guild build is in its, uh, in the final stretch here and I've got two mm-hmm. tables being made. So I'm about to put the tops on them, but installed the drawer runners, got the drawers all assembled and, and looking good and purdy. And, uh, that's really been about it. That has been the f- absolute complete and total focus of my attention for the entire month of March. <laughs> so. I can see that there's because there's been a few times that like I've, I've sent you an email and I noticed there's a delay and a I'm a little thinking, bit more oh, of a delay. Yeah, he's, he's, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, he's probably like, damn it, I've just got to get this one leg done. Will you leave me the hell alone? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not quite that bad, but uh, people probably who are normal um, people, people that I normally communicate with are noticing a little bit of a delay in my response. I'm not uh, within the hour like I usually am. <laughs> um, so, but but it's good. In fact, it taught me a little bit of a, a lesson. Like I ha- because I work from home, it, work is something that just kind of happens whenever and all day and on the weekend. So essentially there is no weekend when, when, okay. you know, when, when you work this way. 
And this was interesting because because of the way I structured the video release to be on Friday, it really has almost, you know, recreated a weekend for me because I've worked so hard Monday through Friday getting this video ready for Friday. Uh, mm -hmm. That Saturday comes around and I'm like, dude, I am doing nothing today. <laughs> nothing. So it's it's brought my weekend back. I, I can I can totally see that. Yeah. When when you have all that focus during the week, absolutely. You need the, mm -hmm. that mind break. And then you get somebody like me going, dude, what are you doing? Can you help me with this one thing? And then can you do this? And can you do can you show me? <laughs> My computer's <laughs> crashing. What do I do? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay. Now if I hold the control button and then I push what? <laughs> <laughs> right. So hopefully you've got something going on too. That's uh mine mine isn't particularly interesting, but uh, uh well, to be quite honest, I, I have taken a small break. It's like one of those uh, the, the harder you're working, it's almost like yin and yang. <laughs> I've gone to the opposite. Well, I, there you go. I, the, the worst part about it, I've become a zombie at this point where I have like a whole bunch of projects that I, I need to to finish working on. And so I have all the loose ends are spread out right now. There's mm -hmm. there's no tying up of loose ends in my shop right now. <laughs> they are everywhere. They're starting to fray. I probably should you know get on top of that. But really, uh, the main focus has been has been playing with that new table saw that I have. Okay. And, and I've been doing like all the adjustments. I mean, I've gotten extremely obsessive about it so that when the time comes and I actually make that first cut, it's going to be a doozy, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that's good, though. At least you got it. It's all geared up, set up, ready to go for the next project. That's right. You know, and I'm, I'm really excited. About it. And it's so funny because it's just the subtle little things mm -hmm. like suddenly going from no safety guard to safety guard, yeah. trying to get used to that whole thing and making it, sure that it's set up. It actually is something you need to get used to. I mean, I have a tendency to, I've got the Brett guard that folds down and I can move it out of the way. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's very easy to put back, but a lot of times I have to go, hey, you know, smack myself around a little bit and say, hey, put that back, you know, because I get a little bit too used to it not being there. Uh, but you, you do have to sort of get used to this, not having complete visibility of the blade all the time. Yep. Oh my gosh, the other day I was just making a, a, a simple rip cut. I just, I had a board. I just wanted to rip it down because I was going to use it for something else. Mm -hmm. And I actually had that panic moment. You know, I mean, the, the, the fence was over enough where I could easily put a push stick in there and not have any problems. But suddenly my mind just started kind of like wandering as the, the push stick was getting closer to it. Like, what if it was over? What if it was over closer? <laughs> it's not going to make it. <laughs> yeah, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? I, I've never worked with one of these before. I've always had that, you know, fingers and thumbs, don't be dumb, you know, and yeah. that's like you know, running through my head. And then the other thing is the fact that this saw has a riving knife. And even on the really old crappy benchtop one that I had years ago, mm -hmm. I shouldn't say that too loud. My wife bought it for me. She's moving around upstairs right now as I'm Don't. speaking. <laughs> you hear that. Um, but it, even that one didn't have a, a riving knife. I mean, that was way before anybody really heard the term riving knife. Sure, sure. And that's something that I'm trying to get used to also because it's like, is it a splitter? Is it a safety guard? <laughs> What yeah. is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The good thing about a riving knife, though, is if it's set up properly, if it's working properly, you basically never know it's there. Um, you know, unless you're doing a, a specific cut with a dado or something like that where you need to remove it. Uh, for the most part, it's these low profile riving knives are great because of the fact that you just don't have to think about them if they're if they're set up and working properly. That's it. Exactly. Because it's like it just subtly almost like a little like like a little hood comes over the top of the, the blade a little bit. It yeah. just peaks a little bit there. So you, you just kind of notice it. But still, mm -hmm. it's like one of those. All right. Now I got to get used to this. And what is this thing? And why is why is my wood staying tight to the fence? I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good, though. And, and all in all, when you have this stuff set up, what it does is it sort of has you make a pause and look at what you're about to do and take, you know, just 
look at the whole situation and plan the cut. You know, what what particular push stick am I going to use? How am I going to push it through? Will it fit? And when you evaluate the cut that much, you don't want to over-evaluate it, but as long as you take a few seconds to think about that cut, that's usually the time that you need to avoid and circumvent making a stupid mistake because you are thinking about it that much. So um, right. I think it's a good thing, man. It sounds good. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely pretty excited. But the other nice thing about having a, a safety guard like that is, and this is something I, I don't think you would think a lot about. This is so just kind of in the background. Mm -hmm. But for once, I don't have tons of sawdust flying back up in my face like yeah. I did with the old saw. Mm -hmm. And that is just insane because I get done making a cut and typically I look down at my shirt and I am one with the wood now because <laughs> I'm completely coated in it. And for once... All the wood is, or all the all the sawdust is staying in a more particular spot. It's not going everywhere, and that's just that's I, that's a huge thing for me also because I'm like, this is just great because it's less cleanup I have to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> a nice little bonus. All right. Well, speaking of uh, safety, I didn't want this to be a full topic because I think this has been beaten like uh, forty times over. Like the horse was dead, and we keep beating it. Oh yeah, type yep. of thing. Um, the saw stop verdict uh, that everybody has heard of. If you haven't, very quickly, there was just a, uh, a a recent verdict that awarded some guy money for cutting his finger or hand or whatever he did. I don't know the ex yeah, full he, extent of the injury. But he named himself pretty good, that's for sure. Yeah, he, he got a, a pretty good uh, boo boo there. But he basically sued Ryobi and I guess won. And the idea was the suing or the uh, the suit was over the fact that it didn't have this quote-unquote flesh detection technology. And we're talking about the saw stop technology specifically. So there's so much to this. This is such a multifaceted conversation, and I do not want to get into it because every time we get into <laughs> it, uh, it is an insane conversation. I think we topped out over, in other words, 200-something comments on that particular thread within a day. That sounds familiar, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're talking some serious passion about this topic. And, of course, it gets off topic too. And people go off on tangents. We all don't always have all the information. So, um, so anyway, but what I did want to bring people's attention to was that, uh, popular woodworking is not necessarily letting this go. They actually are continuing the conversation and they have a little survey up there because I think they wanted to find out firsthand what people's experiences were with their table saws. So I'll put it, a link in the show notes, but it's on there, uh, on the popular woodworking blog. And mm -hmm. you could take a little survey. It's like four questions. Uh, I took it and it's really no big deal. And you get to see the results. And I just wanted to kind of talk about the results. I don't know that it necessarily tells us anything we didn't already know. But the first question was, do you own or use a table saw? Um, three people so far, 3.4% said no. Um, <laughs> but 54% have a contractor hybrid and 31%. So you're looking at right now, 85% have a good size saw. And only 11.5% have a portable unit. Okay. Okay. And then they said, how much experience do you have? 32.5% uh, said two to five experiences or two to five years of hobby experience. 2.4% uh, said two to five years of professional experience. About 5% were brand new. And this is funny. Four people skipped the question. Oh, really? <laughs> Just couldn't figure out how long they've been doing it. Either. Like, you know what? I am not answering that. That is private. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't want to get into this because it could be for tax reasons or. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So um, the other question, if you if you own a table saw, have you ever been injured using it? And fortunately, this is nice to see. Thirty eight percent. The majority had no mishaps. Uh, Thirty two percent said close call and no injury. 
And let's see, of the ones that did have some sort of injury, they then asked them how serious was it? And 70, almost 71% said no medical attention, bag of ice, and possibly an underwear change uh, <laughs> were all that were required. Um, 17% said emergency room or urgent care visit stitched back together. So, okay. I mean, there, there's people, they're kind themselves, but it doesn't seem like it's quite that severe as far as the people who are actually making contact uh, contact. Now, here's the, here's the important one for the people who did hurt themselves. What safety equipment did you have in place? 62 and a half percent so far said no safety equipment was in place. Oh, wow. And See, all the other ones are various. I had a splitter. I had a blade guard factory equipped splitter, blah, 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 but very low numbers. 62 and a half percent. were not using anything in the first place. Oh, that's just, that's amazing. And, and coming from a, a, a saw that had nothing in place, same saw, and I've reiterated this story over, over and over, mm-hmm. that I watched my own grandfather pretty much almost lose his thumb in a, in a similar type of accident as, as what's being described. Yeah. Um, that's just, it's mind-boggling mm-hmm. thinking about that, you know, because it's just, I don't know. That's why I, I rest a lot easier knowing that I have my safety equipment, but it still keeps myself on guard. I mean, yeah. you have to. You have to be. And the same thing if you have the saw stop, saw stop technology, you, you still have to be on guard. It's not like you, can, you could just uh, willy-nilly throw your hands through there. Uh, but the idea is if you do at least have those plastic guards in place, it's a physical barrier and a mental reminder that this right. is a danger zone. So if you touch that plastic guard, you're going into the danger zone. Don't go into the danger zone. Right, right, absolutely, yeah. And there's there's so many things that we could. Nice job there, Kenny Loggins. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, unless you're Tom Cruise, then you can right. go into the danger zone. Unless, of course, you're Goose with Tom Cruise, That's in true. which case, then you're in stay trouble. out of it. Don't go near it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we, this this is definitely one of those subjects that, like you said, it, it can get extremely passionate. I love the coverage that that popular woodworkers has been doing on this because uh, Glenn Huey's really been sticking in there, and he was talking about like, they they cited a specific. Um, a journal article and they've been going through that and just following up. I mean, they really are staying on this and I'm yeah. curious to see where this goes because I, I, I really, there's a part of me that um, I'm glad that there's attention being drawn to this whole issue. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm really hoping that it, it, the attention goes in the, in, in the direction of common sense versus G, uh, knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's what they want to do is th- this technology is it, – it's only by saw stop. And I'm sorry, but if you throw it on every single piece of equipment, forget about it. It's nothing being sold anymore. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing, and I, I, I really hesitate to even say anything about it anymore because I don't know enough of the, the full picture, you know, to yep. say what can happen, who can do what, if there's a competing technology, what happens, and – I, I just don't even want to get into it because I think a lot of us are talking out of our, uh, you know, what's uh, at this yep, point. Exactly. So. <laughs> so we'll just have a, we'll have a blanket <laughs> statement of regardless of what you're doing, your experience and everything else, be safe. Yeah. And be safe. Story. Be safe. And I also will say that, you know, we gave SawStop quite a hard time early on. I think in one of our first episodes, we had talked about it. The que- a question or two came in and we had a discussion about it. And we got a lot of crap for not being completely supportive of the technology. And I, I will say that I've warmed up to it quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Just generally speaking, I have rec- you know made recommendations to people who've said, should I get this saw or this saw? And if the saw stop was one of them, clearly they're interested in that technology and that feature, then they should get that saw, you know? So, right. I mean, I, I have actually come around a little bit 
in my thinking about the technology. I'm still not comfortable with only one company offering it, um, but it would be nice to see that not as a requirement, but as an option. If you want, right. if you want it in a saw, then I think you should, it would be great to be able to get my PM 2000 with some, uh, you know, specialized technology to stop the blade. Absolutely. And, you know, exactly. If, if it was put as an option or a similar option to come out, I, th- I bet you the market would see a vast majority of people would end up going with it because of that very reason. But, yeah, it's that whole restriction thing that I kind of I don't know. We, yeah. Anyways, though. it makes it tricky. So <laughs> anyway, we, we I just made something a topic that I said I wasn't going to make a topic. So I'm already right. screwing up our new plan. But oh, that's fine. Well, blanket statement <laughs> again. Everybody be safe. Be safe everybody people. be safe. Yeah. And uh, safety weeks coming up soon. So. Definitely be well, safe. Right. It's, oh, at least be safe for one week of the year if you're going to do you it. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on to our topics. The first one was using hand tools, even for the boring crap. And the reason I thought this would be interesting was because I went through this with the guild build recently. I had committed to trying to use as many hand tools as possible for this project. So I had a bunch of rabbits to make. I was making the drawer parts specifically. And, you know, not really big rabbits, only quarter inch by quarter inch, but, um, you know, still a considerable amount of material to remove. So I started, you know, you and I talked about it. I got some advice from from you if there was an easier way than the way that I was doing it because it just wasn't fun. It really right. was boring the crap out of me, and I just wanted to to pull my router out and get the job done the way I know how to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm plowing away with the plow plane, getting it started, and of course with the grain, it's it's not that big of a deal, but I did have to do some cross-grain cuts and had to take some extra precautions there and you know, going back and forth with the rabbit plane because that was a little bit faster than the plow plane. But it was just this process that I started to realize there really is a big difference between the things that we do with hand tools that, you know, personally that I consider fun, you know, dovetails, finessing joints, but creating things like, like dados and rabbits by hand just fell into that category of not so fun stuff. Like, like putting out the garbage, you know, it's got to be done, but I don't want to be the one to have to do it. Right, exactly. I don't mind filling the garbage can. That's a hell of a lot filling of fun it, sometimes. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> so I wanted to find out, like, where where do you draw the line? I mean, I know you've got a lot of hand tools, too. I know if you right. if you had to make, a, a let's say you were building a drawer and you had to make these little rabbits, what are you going to, like, reach for, the router or the planes? Um, I want to say that I'm... Be honest. I, I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, uh, I it, it's 50-50. It, it really, it depends on... Um, a lot of times what time of night it is when I'm working on something. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but uh, if I have a lot, say I'm building, like I, I'm finishing up this right now on, on the show, I'm finishing up the uh, child's dresser. And uh, I had a lot of drawers to build on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea of following through with my hand tools. But um, my I did one or two with hand tools and I had the same experience. I'm like, All right, this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it just it, it strikes me as that type of busy work that power tools were just meant to do. That's why that, power tools were invented so that you wouldn't have to go through that level of labor. It, it to me does not bring the romance of hand tools that that seems to be the reason a lot of people do use them is to get more connected to the material to to sort of, you know, there's a certain degree of quality and control and things that hand tools bring to the party. But I think a lot of it is romanticized a little bit. And there was no romance between me and this plow plane. <laughs> no, no, about halfway through it, I, I, I was even the same way. I just like went over there, grabbed the router. And I'm like, you know what? They can put the pillow over their head. Shut up. <laughs> and just went for it. Because, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's insane. There, that is one of the things that I, I will absolutely, if it's only one or two things, I will grab the hand plane and do it just for the pure joy of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then with everything else, so if there's a lot there to do, 
um, I absolutely will grab the router and then maybe I might come through with a final pass if necessary on, on the, with a plane. But yeah, I'm going to say, uh, easily it's a, it's 50, 50, um, and depending on the project, sometimes it goes more towards the power with the finessing with the, the hand tools. Sure. Okay. Now, is there anything that in your experience building that you maybe used to always do with a power tool? Cause it was kind of maybe the way you were introduced to it or you didn't know any better. And now you almost exclusively go to your hand tools for yeah, actually, uh, when it comes to cross-cutting my stock, I almost always exclusively go to my cross-cut panel saw. Really? Um, so is yeah, it, it for rough or for finish work? Uh, the vast majority of rough, but I do find myself doing quite a bit of finish work with it. No and then kidding. I just come back with a hand plane and I'll, I'll shoot it on, uh, you know, on, a, on a shooting board mm-hmm. and clean it up that way. A, a lot of it comes down to the fact that I was feeling like with my, my miter saw um, – I was having a few issues with it kind of getting tuned up the right way. I couldn't, it was just it, not exactly the greatest one in the world. It's sure, having a couple sure. of issues of getting the, the fence nice and square. But to be quite honest with you, it was almost like one of those, by the time I got everything laid out, got ready for this, got my, my fence all set up. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have easily just grabbed the, the crosscut saw and went to town on it. And I'm at the point now that, yeah, I almost exclusively do, you know, all of my cutting, my cross cutting with the the panel saw. Wow. And yeah, it's, and I, it's, I've gotten great results with it. It's one of those, you obviously have to have practice to, to get better results from it, but sure. yeah, that's, that's pretty much the main one. In fact, my miter saw now is almost like one of those, all right, I'll just use it because it looks so lonely over there. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> you know what? I, I will go out on a limb here and I will say that you are only slightly nuts for doing that. Because if I were you, I would make the rough cut on the miter saw, even if it is a little sloppy, and then I would clean it up on the shooting board and kind of have the best of both worlds. But I I can see why you would be, I can see why you would like to do it if you've gotten proficient at it. You may as well do it by hand because that's just part of the fun for you. Right, exactly. You know, and one thing I won't do though is I won't rip a board with a saw. I see everybody else doing it. Like, oh, if you try this technique, I know Chris (laughs) Schwartz has like three or four different techniques that he's demonstrated. Yeah, and every single time I'm like. No, that's what God made a bandsaw or a table saw for. Why would you do it any other way? <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm glad I'm not the only one. And looking at the chat room, I think there are also quite a, a few folks out there who who agree with me on that. But bottom line is it's to each his own. And if, uh, you know, like um, what's his name with his tea table that he's making? Um, I, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Logan oh. Cabinet Shop. Oh, yep. Oh, yeah. You uh, know, um, clearly he's doing this for the love of working tools completely with or working at wood with, you know, completely with hand tools and i gotta have just absolute crazy respect for that that's awesome right well, now turn it around do you have anything that you ever use a uh, a hand tool with uh versus a power tool that you did before is there anything at all the one thing i would say is um small cuts a lot of times you know you need to notch something i just find that far easier and uh simpler and more gratifying to do you know, with a, a little back saw and a chisel, you know, um, I would also say the fine tuning. I used to spend time fine tuning my tools, fine tuning my router so that I get that like, oh, I'm close. Let me bring, you know, bring it back to the router table, take one more light pass and that tenon is going to fit perfectly. I don't do that anymore. I just grab my uh, block plane, a rabbit plane, shoulder plane, or even a chisel sometimes if it's just a little tiny little bit on a corner or something. And mm-hmm. I use those to finesse the fit of joints. And I do that almost exclusively on every project now. Um, every tenon that comes off of the table saw, for instance, gets worked specifically for its mortise to make sure that it's a perfect fit. 
it may not even be consistent from mortise to mortise or tenon to tenon. At least it's consistent with that particular mortise that I'm fitting it to. So, right. so that would be one thing I think that, that I would say would fall into that category for me. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, it was. It's funny because when I was thinking, like, when you're talking about notching, I always remember watching the New Yankee Workshop, and Norm had that little miniature circular saw, and I remember <laughs> searching all over the place to get one. I was like, "That's so tiny. You could get in. You could do notches." <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, what do we have here? Okay, well, that that's about that uh, exhausting that topic there. Um, of course, <laughs> right. in the comments, guys, if you got anything to add to this, uh, we don't really have much conversation that happens when we post these in the comments section on either mine or Matt's site. Um, I think everybody just kind of listens uh, on the road or while they're doing other things, so they're not necessarily at their computer. But if you're inclined, there's always an uh, option for you to comment and add your thoughts. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'd be kind of curious to see who else, you know, what other tools somebody might have in that in that situation, because mm -hmm. I know I'm not alone out there, people. Come on, step up. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Support Matt and his crazy <laughs> cross-cutting. That's um, right. Okay, so the other thing we wanted to talk about today were the differences and uh, some of the uses of these very similar tools and just discussing what they do differently. A rabbit plane, a shoulder plane, a plow plane, and the router planes. So we're just going to kind of take them one by one and discuss these things. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's start with a rabbit plane. I use this a lot in the last few days. Um, some may pronounce that a rebate plane. You crazy people in, across the uh, ocean. and Yeah, over the, across the big pond there. What do you do they say it that way in Canada too? Um, I don't know. I, I'd have to ask me. I think so. A maybe yeah, they do. Eh? Okay. Um, there's also uh, I noticed and I didn't see this one out there until recently that um, Lee Nielsen has a a, uh, a new version of what was the Stanley ten and a quarter. So it's basically like a full size bench rabbit plane. That oh, okay. yeah, I mean it looks awesome. I mean it's not something I would ever have a whole lot of use for, but I thought it was very cool. Um, the one that I use the most is the rabbiting uh, block plane. So it looks like a regular block plane. Uh, but if you take a closer look, you'll notice that it's got a few things that set it apart. Um, basically, the rabbit plane is pretty easy to identify. The blade is going to be wider than the body. And this way you can kind of get right up to those edges and you don't bind, you know, as you're moving across a rabbit uh, or you're creating a tongue on the end of a workpiece. Right. Uh, uh, they also feature a lot of times, I know mine, my little block plane version does, that little knicker. And I think we had a very funny joke about this that I made up the last time uh, about pants and knickers, but knickers, <laughs> knickers being in a twist or something like that. Um, and you, you could twist that knicker to get it out of the way. That's exactly so that what up. you do. Yeah. Yep. Right. So Absolutely. essentially it's like a scoring blade, right? It, it kind of just scores along the side and severs mm -hmm. the fibers so that the plane can very easily remove the remaining material. Um, what you can use it for, it's great. Of course, it's a, a rabbit plane, so it's great for rabbits, uh, tenons. And if you get the block plane version, it's actually a decent block plane. So, you know, so if you're, you don't want to spend all the money on, on two of those things, I would start with the rabbit plane, uh, use it for the block plane activities, but then, you know, maybe later on get yourself a real block plane, but it, it will serve as for the most part as both tools. Uh, and I think if you're a power tool user, that is a good one to get because it's great for doing what I was just talking about before cleaning up those joints, the tenons and, and taking off a little, you know, thou shaving just to, to finesse that fit perfectly. Right. Absolutely. You know, and that is really one of those, we, we keep hearing the term hybrid woodworkers, you know, the idea that we go back and forth with the power and hand tools, mm -hmm. but even if you don't want to do the full on commit to, to power to, or the hand tools, you're right. It, a, a tool like that is just fantastic until you've, had a chance to just slightly finesse a joint like a rabbit using a, a hand tool versus coming back in and slowly discovering, oh, I just wanted to take, you know, a tiny shaving off and I accidentally dropped another quarter inch there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's not pretty. No, <laughs> it, definitely not. 
Sweet. Right, tell us about well, shoulder planes. Okay, well, you know, shoulder planes are, they're very similar to rabbit planes in the fact that the blade is slightly wider than the body of the plane, and that's totally intentional. It's not like the manufacturer's just like, oh, just give me don't, that blade. Don't we'll file that down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, really don't file that one down. <laughs> and be careful when you set it on its side. Uh, but really what, what it comes down to is if you look at the plane, the body is really, it, it's much skinnier than what you would think of a plane. It's almost like one of those, you turn on its profile and suddenly it's paper thin kind of a thing. It is weird looking when you first see it. It is. It's like you look at it. Oh, look, it's like a nice big, you know, big plane. Look at that. It's really cool. And you turn it sideways and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Where'd it go? Mm-hmm. Or you put it lengthwise. Now, Lee Nielsen happens to have what they have four different sizes of uh, shoulder planes. I think they so, have yeah. A, yeah, it's like a half inch, five eighths, three quarter. And then they have a big honking one, which comes in at about one and a quarter. Yeah. And the, the neat thing about with uh, with uh, uh, shoulder planes is that you can use them for like when you're trimming tenons or rabbits, uh, but due to their skinny profile, they can also be used uh, in dados of a fixed size. So that's where having like the half inch or the five eighths or, you know, the, the three quarters, you can easily get in there and, and clean those up so that, you know, your your dados will fit nice and flush in the in the bottom there if, if need to. Mm-hmm. So you just find the one that probably works the best for your your typical situation, and you will uh, definitely benefit from it. So while in one respect the narrowness kind of makes it not so good for things like tenons, it, you know it can really excel at dados or yeah yeah that'll work pretty good. Yeah, the neat thing about one thing I have with with, with shoulder planes is if you look at a Lee Nielsen one versus a Lee Valley one, the handles are two different configurations. Oh yeah, uh huh. Yeah, and you've the Lee, yeah, the Veritas one, the Lee Valley one has like a pistol grip type of a, a, a handle to it, and then the Lee Nielsen one has this like looks like a giant tail. I was going to say it looks like a big end. giant tail. Now, oddly enough, though, that looks a lot like the new detail rabbit planes that they came out with, uh, and yes, that's a Ver- it does. Uh, that's a Veritas tool that they came out with. It has that big you know bronze tail in the back. So I was even going to mention that what it seems almost to me like those detail rabbit planes should have been called, and maybe I'm um, kind of screwing up terminology here, but it seems like they should have been called shoulder planes. Yeah, really what it comes down to, it, when you look at them, yeah, they're the same exact configuration. They almost look like model makers versions of a shoulder plane. Right. So right. so I think that that is something that's really kind of throwing people off because when I think of a rabbit plane, um, I, I'm thinking of something that has an adjustable fence on it because – Really, with, with a, a rabbit plane, you're working one edge. I mean, a rabbit, the definition is it has the two shoulders, but it's on an edge, whether that's a lo- long grain or an end grain, where something like you would use like with a shoulder plane as we're describing being able to put it into a dado. I mean, a dado has it's essentially a valley it's going in the middle of, and there's no fence on those little detail rabbit planes. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can only see them being uh, useful in very skinny grooves and things like that and just kind of plowing those out a little bit. Now, right. speaking of plowing, uh, they're, they're, the next two that we're going to talk about, these are these are hand tools that I think are going to uh, appeal and make the most sense to a power tool woodworker okay. um, just because of the general properties and how you use them. First of all, the plow plane. Uh, this is one that I used uh, quite extensively in a, a recent guild video. Um, the unique feature of this one, for the most part, is that it's outfitted with the fence. We were just talking about that, a fence and a depth stop. So essentially, as you're you know pushing it along the, the workpiece, you can control how far you go and how deep you go. 
Um, mm-hmm. So this is critical for repeatable settings. So if you're doing a whole series of uh, drawers or things like that, and you need to create a bunch of these similar sized rabbits, you can do that with this. So it's very, to me, it makes sense to a, a power tool woodworker because that's exactly what you would do with a portable router. You would set your depth and then you would set your fence and boom, you're done. So right. uh, very handy for that. And I, I find it, what I used it for primarily this last week was starting my rabbits. And you can also use it, of course, for grooves and dados and things like that. Once it got started, I then switched over to the rabbiting block plane and my shoulder plane because those are much better at getting, uh, especially on cross grain cuts, which the plow plane isn't quite as good at doing. Um, the cross grain cuts were great with those other tools because they get right up into the corner and the rabbit plane has the knicker that severs the fibers. So for that cross grain cut, I was kind of going back and forth between the plow plane and the rabbit plane to get the work done. Hence right. my, my complaining about the amount of work that I had to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it, totally understandable. Yeah, because like you said, the, the plow plane doesn't have that that the the knicker on it. So yeah. therefore it's it's not gonna do it. But I think you mentioned like when we were talking back and forth about that, that you were going through with a marking uh, knife or a marking gauge mm-hmm. and kind of at least scoring it. So that definitely was helping you to at least make the surface nice and pretty. <laughs> yeah, I think if you if you go a cross grain cut with a plow plane with no score on on the surface, you're I think you're gonna be in trouble. I mean that's it's going to be nothing but tear out all the way across. So with a, a nice light score, I was able to zip right along and it was a nice clean cut. So Right. You know, one option I think a person could have if they really wanted to do that is if you were comfortable with this, you could set up like a little block and then take a, pl- uh, a saw and make the curve and then go down that way. So you're just removing waste, but mm-hmm. you're kind of adding, uh, you know, a couple extra steps in there that maybe you don't want to do, which then brings up the idea again of, um, is this supposed to be fun or is this work? <laughs> or, or extra work, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, you know, uh, the next plane that we should talk about is the uh, the router plane, mm-hmm. which is obviously, uh, when you look at this, it, it looks like no other plane. At least the other ones, you can see the the, the resemblance to other planes. This one yeah. is a, definitely of a, oh, a totally different It's an oddball. Yeah, it, that's putting it nicely. <laughs> that's what the family says about me. <laughs> He's so the oddball. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, the neat thing is they have two handles and they have a really wide stout base and they have an L-shaped blade that protrudes out the bottom. That's the, the really the, the best description for them. Mm-hmm. And router planes excel at cleaning out dados and even for cleaning up uh, uh, tenons and rabbits also. So you see how all of these kind of work together. As you mentioned, they mm-hmm. all pretty much do the same thing. With router planes, there's actually a depth stop that allows you to make repeatable cuts also. And I know with uh, some people have taken the, the router plane to the point where you can swap out the blades. There's different ones. There's even a V-groove uh, blade mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. So you could technically uh, create uh, dados with this also or, or grooves with it. Um, which, again, could kind of do something like the plow plane or the shoulder plane or the rabbit plane. Uh, but with the, the the router plane, that's like one of those, I look at that and I think, that's not happening. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> yeah. I am not doing that with this one. I will come in and like like we, we mentioned, you know, you can clean up the bottom of a dado and that, that one excels at it really well. In fact, the router plane is the one um, when I took a, a class with Chris Schwartz uh, for, for uh, uh, sawing and stuff like that, mm-hmm. we would make tenons. This is the one that he uses predominantly for cleaning the uh, faces of his tenants with. Oh, no or the, Yeah, the, the cheeks of the tenant. Sure. And it, it's there's kind of a, a neat technique with it, but I think that's – I've seen other people do it too. And so that's that's one of those. It's a nice versatile one. Um, but yeah, if it comes for doing grooves, I'm not using that one. <laughs> <in the world. laughs> well, you know what? I actually use it not only for, for tenons because of the set – 
consistent depth. I mean, you can get dead on uh, accurate tendons this way. I also use it in making case case goods. A lot of okay. times you're running a big piece of plywood over the table saw and either there's a bow or you're not pushing down consistently all the way through. You would be surprised if you go all the way down and measure the depth of that data or that groove all the way down the length of that workpiece, you'll find that it is nowhere near perfectly consistent in terms of depth. So when you rest that up against a, a side piece or something that's going to join to it, it's never going to actually bottom out all the way down. You're going to have a little bit of waviness in there. So yep. uh, if you don't believe me, try it. Do a do a data cut one time on a, on a reasonably good-sized piece and then set your router plane to what you consider to be the optimal depth and run it all the way across. And I guarantee you're going to find some high spots. Um, you know, So something like that, again, incorporating these things into the power tool shop is a great tool. And in fact, I find that these specialty tools, if you are not all that familiar with hand tools, I don't think going like a question came in the forum uh, just just today, I think, or very recently. Someone asked, you know, if I'm starting out, what should my first plane be? I'm coming from a primarily a power tool background. For me, honestly, I almost think the best way to incorporate hand tools into that power tool shop comes with these specialty items, not necessarily going and getting your bench planes. Because I don't know if the average power tool woodworker is really ready to throw away their jointer and planer and start milling boards by hand or, or you know, throw away their sander so that they could start using a smoother. I think right. the, the easiest, most, I would say, painless entry into the world of, of hand tools would be these specialty tools, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, that's a good point because that's one of those whenever it's come up, I've always been like, oh, you they have to go with a smoother or actually the first one I always recommend is a block plane if somebody doesn't already have it. That's true, too. That would be the first one. Right. But still, I, you got a great point about going with a, a specialty plane um, because, yeah, because of that very fact that the vast majority of the time when you're making that transition from power uh, to bring in being opening your mind to the idea that you could do something without power. Right. right. <laughs> um, you know, having having something that can finesse it is, is definitely a good way to go. So I, I guess, yeah, it, it depends on what somebody really, really wants to do with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, if I they come into way. it saying, I, what I want to do ultimately is mill lumber, then I think there's, you know, a good reason to push them in that direction. But I think if you're looking to just excite them about hand tools in the craft, uh, the easiest way to do that is to give them something that's almost guaranteed to give them a good amount of success in the beginning. And that success is what's going to take them to the next level to say, wow, look, I can do that with, with these tools. Imagine what I can do if I, you know, go into the world of bench planes. Maybe that's something I'm interested in. So, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so it's it's bench planes are like the minivans of the bench world or the, the plane world, and those specialty ones are definitely the Ferrari. There's no getting around it. So <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All right, so um, moving on to our next topic, we, we're going to discuss the concept of learning through woodworking books, magazines, now podcasts, and blogs. Can a person become a quote-unquote decent, and I guess that, leaves itself open to different definitions, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, let's say a competent woodworker purely, purely by being self-taught and letting these other resources guide them. And, and what I mean by that is there, there is no one-on-one -on -one instruction. There's no class time. There's no, uh, you know, master woodworker sitting here telling you and showing you what to do. So I thought it would be interesting to throw this out to everybody because you know, I have my opinion and I'm sure you have your opinion, but I'd be curious what the general, you know, group of people in uh, our woodworking community think about this. Right. Definitely. <clears throat> so, um, where is it? Hold on. I lost my right. place. I skipped ahead. Um, <laughs> okay. So I, I do have a few answers here and we're just going to read through them real quick. 
uh, Renaissance woodworker. You guys know him. That's Shannon Rogers. He says, if you consider me to be a decent woodworker, which I think he is, he says, I yes, definitely. <clears throat> and uh, mostly web taught and then books pitfall. And this is a good point. Pitfall is paralysis by analysis with so much content. So if you have 20 videos telling you how to cut dovetails and you know, really all you really should be doing is maybe watching one video and going and trying it and getting in the shop first. So good point. You could sit there and watch 20 videos and then be more confused than when you started. Yeah, it, it, it's easily falling into the fad trap. You know, it's mm-hmm. the same thing as bell bottoms are in now, um, um, you know, solid oak bench tops are in, you know, stuff like that. Sure, so, yeah. sure. I don't understand what you mean by that, but I'm yeah, going to go either. on. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> okay. uh, Jay Dreyer said, he said, totally, I would fall into the decent category. And all I've used is is the what you've listed, basically DVDs, magazines, podcasts. And he says he's very proud of his creations. Uh, Adam King from Adam King Studio and uh, Woodworker's Journey, right? Yep. Uh, He says, even if one does go to school, at some point, you still end up being self-taught and as you move beyond what you've learned in school. So that's a great point. Definitely. Uh, Another person that uh, commented is uh, Devin Stenson, who says, absolutely, the mind-blowing amount of content out there, videos, communities, books, and magazines is more than enough information like any form of information, though, you must apply the knowledge learned and practice the actual execution of the skills. Uh, would it be faster in person with a skilled craftsman guiding your hand, of course, but one can definitely become a decent woodworker, even a really good worker with the tools out there for self-taught approach. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah, a for show. Sure. Uh, Lucas Peters, he's I always get these magazines confused and I'm terrible at this. I believe Lucas <laughs> is with Wood Magazine and forgive me, Tom will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, he's a good dude. But anyway, he says, hey, Mark, growing up with a, a, some of these responses were a little bit longer, but I thought they were really good. So I put them in here. Uh, growing up with a contractor cabinet maker dad and then working for another contractor cabinet maker after dad retired from the business gave me exactly two perspectives on woodworking techniques. The advent of easily accessible instruction brings the opportunity for much, much broadened possibilities. I think you can become a proficient woodworker from primarily long distance means, but it sometimes leads to interesting quirks. One thing I've noticed from sifting through reader-submitted shop tips is that we'll get really old tips from seasoned woodworkers. They've stumbled on a brilliant idea independently in isolation that everyone has been doing since the dawn of woodworking. (laughs) On the other hand, we'll have brilliant tips from beginner woodworkers that we've never seen before, and they'll preface the tip with their certainty that everyone already knows it, but they thought that they'd send it in just in case. Uh, working with a woodworking, working as a woodworking island doesn't mean you can't be a good woodworker. It just means that you might develop strange quirks or have to invent techniques that have been around for a while. That's a you know that's a really great point about inventing techniques that have been around for a while. It yeah. seems like I don't know about you, but when I would suddenly start doing something and I had like that aha moment, mm-hmm. um, I suddenly felt like I reinvented the wheel. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then I would like you know go online or something to look for it, and suddenly it'd be like I'm the last one you know bringing the wheel around. Apparently, <laughs> well, like the first time you realize what a really truly sharpened plane does, how it acts, or or how about uh, for me? I think a big moment like that was when I first learned how useful a truly tuned up hand plane is, and I think oh, I, yes. I tried too many times to use one that wasn't tuned up and that was you know not a, not completely flat or the blade wasn't completely sharp. It's it's like a night and day difference. I mean, you could bang your head against the wall going, why do I, you know, suck so bad at woodworking? Well, you don't. You know, it, it could very well just be that this tool is completely out of whack. 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think uh, chisels and like even block planes seem to be the the, the two that um, we all have those aha moments with because, mm-hmm. you know, especially a chisel. I mean, the first time I got my chisel blades, you know, nicely sharpened, which was before I really even went into hand planes, that was just like one of those, oh my God. Look at this. This right. isn't imagine what I can build now. Yep. Yeah, it opens up a whole new world to you. It does, absolutely. All right. So speaking of learning online, you guys may have seen that Popular Woodworking has just announced recently there's a I believe there was a blog entry today about it. Uh, of course, link in the show notes for this stuff. Um, they are doing a SketchUp instructional series, I guess. So part one, I believe is already out and it's, uh, it's narrated by Bob Lang and it's really just a a sketchup for woodworkers tutorial. I believe it's two hours long, approximately it's 2495. And I think they said in three to four weeks, they're going to be offering a CD with the content on it for 30 bucks. Oh, wow. Um, And also has some bonus articles and drawings and things like that. So Kind of a neat thing. I think it's uh, it, this is part of, I guess, keeping their promise of doing something uh, unique to the internet and tying in the magazine and doing things that are more interactive. Um, this is kind of a, a cool option. So if anybody does this uh, and takes the class, please get back to us and, and you know send us a voicemail or something and let us know what you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe I'll have to do that. That'd be pretty sweet. My yeah. SketchUp skills are kind of rusty. Mine can always <laughs> use refinement. Uh, I am a, a SketchUp hack, and I just go in there and throw things around until it you know, looks reasonably comparable. But ask uh, Aaron. Um, I don't know if he's in the chat room right now, but <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he tends to fix all of my SketchUp drawings before they go to the public. So Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my, mine is messy. I, I get a general idea, but that's it. Yeah, mine is basically like a box, and then I'll print it out, and then I'll draw in the details. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay, let's uh, let's move into some voicemails. We do have a couple voicemails here. The first one's from Dave. Dave has Snipe. Oh, mm. don't we all? Hey guys, uh, this is Dave, aka Herbstone from California. Uh, my question for you guys is on regarding planers, benchtop planers. Um, is there a way to um, not get snipe uh, when you're feeding stuff in, or the way to avoid it or reduce it? Um, just wondering if you have any tips on that. Okay, I'm out. Bye. Okay, well, I I just wanted to play this just so that everyone can hear the question, but the actual answer to that question we did in episode 52. So right. if you go back into the archives, you could even just go to woodtalkonline.com and there's a little uh, player there. Just scroll down to episode 52 and you'll find the answer toward the end. It was a voicemail question, very similar to this one. And we went through a whole bunch of different uh, uh, snipe preventative measures that you can take to avoid that. But uh, let me just say that I still have snipe in mind. And there are times, there are planers that you will never get rid of it. And it's a fact of life and suck it up and deal with it type of thing. Yeah, un- unfortunately, I do too, and I just say, oh, you son of a, and then I have to beat myself out. <laughs> you can get some of it, you know, you can reduce it, and you know, but on some units, you will never get completely rid of it. Uh, yeah, it's like tear out. You can minimize it at the best. Yeah. Okay, John, we have another voicemail here. He wants to make some raised panels. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, this is over a minute long. It's about a minute and 15 seconds. This was over three minutes long and I edited it down. So, um, (laughs) you know, once again, we got to try and keep these voicemails, um, you know, pretty, pretty brief if we want to be able to play them on the show. But this, uh, he asked a number of questions. We'll try to answer for him. Okay. Hey, Matt, Mark, Mark and Matt, this is, uh, John. I have a couple questions. First question is, 
I'm restoring a joiner. Uh, bought it for 250 bucks. It's a jet six inch joiner, and I'm having a little problems with rust. I've uh, I used the rust remover and removed the rust that way, but then I come back to it the next day, and it's rusted again. It's like just just a little thin film of rust. My second question would be, I'm building some cabinet doors. Uh, now for my for my panels, I was thinking about going with some solid poplar, just biscuited together as in like a tabletop, and then make it a raised panel that way. Um, would you do that, or would you go with would you go with some plywood? And what type of plywood should I use? Because do they make poplar plywood? And also, would you go with the coping stick, or would you go with the mortise? And on my rails, if I'm making if I'm making them curved, how would I do that? Thanks, you guys are the best. Bye. We are the best, Matt. So says John. Thank you, John. Yes, definitely. Thank you. I finally feel better about myself. <laughs> there you go. It's very important. I've been having some low moments, so thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, let's let's tackle the first thing first. He did okay. ask about rust. Now it sounds like he did rust removal, but he didn't really do anything to protect the surface from rust. Um, that was so, my first impression. Exactly. Was yeah. So yeah, I mean, what's going to happen if you if you strip the surface down, you remove all the rust, and now you've got unprotected bare uh, material there? What's going to happen? Well exactly what happened to him. You're going to have almost immediately a nice new layer of rust to greet you the next day if you don't protect the surface. That's right. It comes back with a vengeance. Well, yeah. maybe not with a vengeance. It's a slow mover, but it's there. <laughs> but it comes back nonetheless. Um, so the the standard stuff we recommend for this, this is nothing new. We've talked about this a couple times on the show. Um, you know, things like T9 Bow Shield is a good mm-hmm. rust protectant. Even if you're in a low humidity area, you can probably just get away with wax, just a paste furniture wax of some sort, uh, something without silicone in it. Uh, Top Saver is another good option, a little bit more expensive, but it's an aerosol can. And uh, those are usually the three main things that, that I recommend for that. Do you have anything else or anything new that we haven't talked about in the past? No, that's that, that's pretty much it. I, I almost use extensively the uh, the T9. I, I really, really like that. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I cannot think of one other thing that would work better. I mean, I like the idea of putting the wax on there also because it'll help you move stuff across the surface, mm-hmm. which is definitely a huge benefit. Um, yeah, well, I've I find a, that T9 is, is a little bit tacky, you know, not not like it's, you know, like it dresses corny or, or wears yeah, it doesn't out, wear out of date clothes. With, with but, spots. <laughs> but it's it, it's sticky to the touch after you uh, put it on, even after you wipe off the excess. So it's nice after that cures to come back with a little bit of wax and smooth out that top so that, you know, the wood just slides right across the surface like a dream. Exactly. No, I, that's exactly the, the first thing I thought of when I heard that question. So yeah. you can't add more. There you go. All right. Okay, fair enough. And the second part of his question was about making raised panel doors, whether he should use a rounder bit, should he go cope and stick, should he do uh, mortise and tenon? The answer right. to this question really depends on what kind of look he wants, because if he's looking for a more traditional sort of kitchen cabinet style with a nice uh, profile on the inside edge, traditional raised panel, well, he's going to need to do the cope and stick joinery and, and make a nice raised panel out of it. His mm-hmm. other option, he said, was using plywood and going flat panel. And then you would also probably just go with uh, with the mortise and tenon at that point. And that's a little bit more like, um, well, like a stickly mission style almost. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you could go either way, but there are, those are vastly different looks. So I can't necessarily tell him one way is better or which way he should go because it's really going to depend on what kind of look he wants in the final piece. But both are perfectly valid uh, methods of of making a door. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's nowhere I can add to that one. He did have the question, though. Do they make popular plywood? Um, yes, they do. You've just got to find it. It's a little bit tricky so. to find. And, and you know, sometimes I find certain woods that the solid wood is cheap and you go to mm-hmm. find them in, in ply, for instance, like knotty pine. Not that expensive. Have you ever bought knotty pine plywood? Yes, it's amazing how much more they can charge for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So uh, in something like this, I would definitely recommend going with the solid poplar. Don't even bother searching for the ply unless he really specifically needs to go with a flat panel design, uh, which right. it doesn't sound like he does. And to, to, to round off the answer to his question, he said about making the curved doors. Uh, I don't really know how else he would do this without using a router bit of some sort, whether it's even just a slot cutter bit or he's going for, you know, a full cope and stick sort of style where he can make the groove and make the profile at the same time. Uh, but right. I think a router bit is going to be his only option for that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it, a lot of times you can even get those template kits where it has the, the, the whole thing on there. Or you probably would have to use a template depending on what mm-hmm. type of design it's going to be. But yeah, really when it comes down to pretty simple. Templates are good for that kind of stuff. That's for sure. Okay, cool question here. A little bit of a different question from Johnny No Name, who from now on, I'm going to pronounce him Johnny Nonami. <laughs> hey guys, this is Johnny No Name again. Uh, I was in the workshop today and I had to move some uh, or lift some heavy equipment, so I broke out the old car jack to lift it up. Uh, got me thinking, uh, do you guys use any non-woodworking uh, tools in the workshop? And if so, what are your favorite? See you next week. Bye. Non-woodworking tools. What you got, Matt? What do you have? Uh, my Anything? computer. <laughs> that that does qualify. Yes, I've got one of those too. Um, you know, I, I stood there for the longest time, and I think the closest thing I could really come up with at this point is um, like my engineering square because mm. really it, it doesn't do much more than like my combination square does. Sure. And that's about the closest thing I could come with. I was I was looking at some other things in there, and I'm like, no, that's that's. Uh, yeah. Some people go back and forth about a drill press because technically that's a machinist tool, but I mean, you can use it in the shop yeah, for all sorts yeah. of stuff. That's, so. that, I would put that firmly in the world of woodworking at this point and you know, yeah. the way that we use them anymore and the way they're marketed at least. Um, right, especially when you put that mortising te- uh, attachment on it. You're all set there then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm thinking, the, I guess the only thing is very similar to his is something that would be in the automotive industry. I have that... I don't even know if I put it on the the show before, but I use one of those like cherry picker uh, uh, crane dealies from um, uh, Harbor Freight. Really, really inexpensive, but it's a, I believe it's like a two ton capacity and it's, I don't know, maybe like just under a hundred dollars. I think I got it or just under $200. I got it on sale. Um, That thing comes in handy. Like you would not believe for moving heavy stuff. Um, okay. I mean, I get a new tool and it's on a, on a, on a, you know, a crate and you got to lift it up to be able to get it off the crate. I mean, this thing is absolutely awesome for that stuff. So you just wrap it around, make sure it's wrapped securely, either with chains or, uh, straps or something like that. Lift it up just an inch, get that thing out from under it and drop it right down. So that has been one of the coolest non woodworking related things that I've used uh, in the shop just a ton of times moving things around. Literally a ton, a of ton, time. two yes. tons of times, tons. frankly. <laughs> um, so I couldn't, uh, I couldn't really think of anything else beyond that. But I'm sure if I went yeah. in, the, in the shop, I might, I might stumble across something. But yeah, I'm sure it's got to be something that just to me, I've been using it for so long in the shop as a woodworking tool that it would definitely pass as a non-woodworking tool elsewhere. So right, right. We've got a comment here coming in from our special How about correspondent. All of my kitchenware. 
Kitchenware. Oh, that's a good point. Yes. Oh, uh, Tupperware, yeah. measuring cups, measuring spoons. And uh, uh, they used a scale or two here and there. Mm. Um, oh, you know what? I ca- I um, confiscated and salvaged a, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a grinder that we never used for like, uh, like a coffee grinder or a spice grinder is okay. now my shellac flake grinder. Oh, very nice. But we never yeah. used it. So, you know, I even, I even, <laughs> and I think I got this with my iPhone. I recorded myself mixing paint using one of those stem uh, hand oh, mixers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sam yeah. gave me that look like you ever do that and there will be divorce. <laughs> oh, man. Good, good times. Good times. Hey, speaking of good times, our buddy uh, Tom from Florida. And if you live in Florida, you must be having good times all the time. So yeah, Tom's down there. Yeah. Let's listen to Tom's tip this week. Tom's tips. That's right. I said Tom's tips. I didn't say Tom's lips. I said Tom's tips. Hello, everyone. It's Tom Iovino from Tom's Workbench, and it's time for another one of Tom's tips. There's nothing like getting that final code to finish on your project. It's like you've reached the finish line. Then it happens. You run your hand over the finish you feel some kind of crud in the final product. What can you do? I suggest you bag it. That's right. Get a brown paper grocery bag or lunch sack and use a piece of that just as you would a piece of sandpaper. The natural minute roughness in the bag is enough to knock down those dust nibs and leave your finish smooth to the touch. If you want to discover more clever, useful, or even somewhat coherent tips, check out my blog at tomsworkbench.com or visit the Wood Whisperer community at community.thewoodwhisperer.com. I'll tell you, I'll be honest, that is the only reason I go to Tom's website is for uh, semi-coherent tips. That, yeah, I don't like the fully coherent ones Mm-mm. because they're a little bit above me. They are, yeah. Oh, semi-coherent yes. is, is just right. Just the right amount of coherence. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> I highly recommend it to everybody. So yeah, the brown paper bag <laughs> trick, that's a classic and uh, always a surprise the first time you hear it, but it supposedly works. I, I honestly have never done it, but it you know, I know people who have and they've had great success with it. Um, I would wait till the finish, especially if you're using like a varnish or poly. Give it a couple weeks to cure before you do that. I think you'll be much happier with the results. Right, so you don't want the logo from the uh, company uh, smearing all over it, too. <laughs> right. so. Okay, let's uh, hear from Carrie. Carrie has a great uh, tip here. I think this corresponds to a blog post. It, the, the, this list rings a bell for me because I remember cracking up the first time I, I read it. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it's much, much cooler, much like the Spoken Wood podcast that Matt does when you actually hear the author uh, sort of bringing life to it. So this is the top 10 tips for wives uh, and she wanted me to specifically make sure I, I mentioned that. But you can also apply this to to husbands if this is a, a female woodworker. But this was written for, for wives. It's, it's a great list. Check it out. Friends, these are my top 10 tips for your spouses. It's written for wives, but it also applies to female woodworkers and their husbands. Feel free to print the list and hang it on your fridge for your loved one to see. It may help bring peace and understanding to your relationship. Number one. Sitting in the shop and staring at a pile of lumber counts as woodworking. Two, when your spouse says, don't buy that armoire, I can build one for you. Just smile and say, great. Then go back to the store in a month and buy it because he's either forgotten all about it or has been feeling guilty for not having started the project and you'll be letting him off the hook. Three, sometimes your husband will buy wood just because it's pretty and he has no idea what he plans to do with it. Number four, Expect a Sammy sad face when you hand him a honeydew list. Five, 
Yes, he does need five routers and four marking gauges. Number six, heaping mounds of partially or unread woodworking magazines are a fact of life. Seven, never, ever, ever remove anything from the shop unless under close supervision. No, not even a screwdriver. Number eight, it takes exactly three weeks to make a small trinket box. Nine, plan a shopping trip, go for a walk, meet friends for coffee, just get somewhere safe if he's getting ready to glue up a project. And number 10, what might look like a junky old tool at a flea market is really a monumental find and source of joy for him. Harness that happiness. Now's a good time to ask him to take you to dinner. Nice. Very cool list. I was cracking up the first time I heard that. It, it was awesome. She's great. It, br- it brings back memories. I remember the first time I, I, I saw that, I, I remember printing it off and handing it to Samantha and saying, here, this explains everything. Just deal with it. <laughs> well, what was great was when I first uh, when I first got it, I played it for Nicole, and I could see the the look of recognition of these lessons that she's learned over the years of of having to deal with a woodworker. Um, so I think she nailed them with that ten. I think that's a great list. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's no other way of putting it around it. And you, I agree. Print it off. Put it on the refrigerator because everybody everybody who is around you will totally recognize something. Yep, that is true. Okay, I've got one email here that we're just going to close out with, and okay. it's from Tommy McEvely, and Let's- he says, in the last issue of Wood Magazine, Bob Backer was on the cover and was using a power drive. Um, I'd never heard of it referred to as a power drive, by the way. I always heard of it as a power feeder, so I had to clarify that we were talking about the same thing we are. Um, right. So you could think of saying power feeder. Maybe I just don't know the terminology, but whatever. Uh, he said he's using it on a table saw, and that's the first time he's seen it on a power drive used other than a jointer. Uh, is there any reason besides the cost of a power drive not to use it? He was cutting two by two red oak. Would cutting wide boards cause kickback? So just to quickly answer this, well, first of all, have you ever used one before, Matt? No, I I, I can't say that I have. I've seen those, and I remember early on thinking, oh, I got to get one. Yeah. Um, and it looks no, cool. I, I, yeah, it looks really cool. I mean, it's like it's like an automated helper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I've I've actually never used one myself. I've seen them. Uh, I would say he said the jointer, but I've seen them most times on um, uh, not a router table, but a big. Why am I blanking on so many things? A shaper. Shaper. Okay. Yeah, on a big shaper, they come in handy. And and yeah, the idea is basically it's consistent, forceful you know, feed uh, motion for a workpiece. So it makes it very safe and very consistent. The question is whether it's practical in most shops. I mean, yeah, if you could get one on your table, so I guess why not? You know, if you're cutting small pieces or very large pieces that have a tendency to, to move and skew on you a little bit, which can be very dangerous, it would be nice to have those things. But the question is, is it really practical if you're not batching things out, if you're not constantly ripping a bunch of, of stuff in the shop? So um, nothing wrong with it, but... You know, I, I don't, I don't, I've never really been completely compelled to install one of those on, on any of my tools, really. Yeah, I can't say that it's on any of my wish lists anywhere. Maybe my extreme wish list, but uh, even then, it's probably very at the, yeah. at the bottom of the list. And maybe, so. I guess maybe if you have a shaper, you know, that's, that's a pretty powerful tool that, that can really throw some missiles across the room if you, uh, right. if you let go of it at the wrong time. So, um, right. a power feeder in that instance seems like it might be a really, really good idea, but I don't have one of those. So I don't really think about it much. Right. Um, you know, and I wonder if maybe in, I'm not sure what article was, it was that, uh, Bob Backer was writing in there, but I, I could see how they might want to do it for a, uh, a test of specific 
feeding uh, going into the blade. Maybe they were testing a blade, so you want to keep the, the feed consistent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you see those once in a while with some of the big like uh, table saw tests or joiner tests or something yeah. where just to make sure that, as you mentioned, the downward pressure and everything else is consistent. But yeah, I don't see it in my shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, I mean, if he can get it, he can get it. That would be cool. Um, let Absolutely. us know how it works out for you if you do. Okay, I think that is about it for our show today. I hope everybody enjoyed the slightly less formal, um, you know, format that we went with. And close us out, Mr. Vandalist. All right, once again, I'm going to read it as it is written. Uh, if you have any comments or questions about something you hear today or something you haven't heard, you can get a hold of us by either dropping us an email at woodtalkonline or at gmail.com, or you can pick up the phone and leave us a message on our voicemail at 623-242-2450. And if you call, please try to keep it under half an hour so that we can get it put together. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. we will make you sound like a chipmunk. <laughs> That's what I should have done. I should have just made it like three times as fast just to get through it. But uh, no, we do appreciate it. We just need to, to make them smaller. So we can That's get right. Them, fit them into the show because you know what? We talk a lot and we don't have much room to let other people talk too much. That's, That's right. It's all about <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for the people listening. Okay, right. well, thank you very much for uh, for listening, guys and gals, and also those of you in the chat room. Always great to see you guys, and have a wonderful woodworking week. That's right. Take care, everybody. Toodaloo.